Hello again, everybody. Welcome to Good to Know Shreveport Bossier. This is a podcast showcasing all the good things happening in our community. My name is Jeff Beinfort. Over here to my right is my co-host, Paul Reeser. He's a former president of the Reeser Group and Sonic Management Company. He's a member of the Committee of 100 Board. And each week we focus on economic development, community growth, other topics about initiatives having positive impacts on our community. We'll have new episodes every other Wednesday. And you can find Good to Know wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have, uh, as always, we have a special guest. And this week we're uh, proud to welcome uh, Congressman Mike Johnson from Louisiana's 4th District. And Mike, thanks for being with us today, man. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm honored to be with you. I'm excited about the podcast. It's a, a great time to be sharing good news about our area. Now, Mike, I got to interrupt because we can tell you're an especially influential and wonderful guest because usually I introduce, uh, <laughs> but Jeff said, I got this one. So uh, we have to go with uh, maturity and experience to let Jeff take over this uh, very So what do you mean podcast. by maturity? Where, where are you going? Experience <laughs> in uh, broadcast uh, professionalism. Well, listen, I, I, I'm happy to call you a personal friend in addition to our congressman. So it's a, it's a thrill for me to have you on here today, Mike. Well, thank you. And I mean, that's the, the benefit of a community-owned local station like KTBS because right. you really have that community feel and you're able to be out and among the, the people. And we are all uh, friends like that. That's the, the beauty of Northwest Louisiana and our region. So uh, the hats off, by the way, to KTBS and, and Committee 100, who's just doing essential work uh, for our region and all the things that all of you are all involved in. I'm just really grateful for it. Oh, we appreciate that. We don't want to get too much into the weeds in politics during this podcast, but we'll, we'll touch on the periphery. And I guess one of the things that you, I, I assume you take a great deal of pride in is this election cycle. You ran unopposed. You've already won. You must feel good that the folks in your district think you're doing a good job. Well, yeah, it's a great blessing. It was a surprise to us. Um, the barrier to entry to run for Congress in Louisiana is relatively low. I think it's like a $900 filing fee. So you normally get, you know, a number of candidates. Uh, but, um, you know, we we were uh, we were pleasantly surprised and I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, it, it's the great honor of my life to represent uh, my hometown and 15 parishes, uh, you know, in, in Congress and not something I ever dreamed of when I was younger that I'd have the opportunity to do. And we're really grateful for the chance to go back and do it again. And, you know, the, the, the good news is, Jeff, um, for our district and for Louisiana, um, it, it looks that to be that my party, the Republicans, are going to retake the majority in the House. And if that's true, um, w I'll be in one of the top five leadership positions in, in the majority party in, in Congress. And that's a big thing for Northwest Louisiana. I'm currently the vice chairman of the House Republicans and running unopposed for that position again. And then Steve Scalise, who's our, our uh, good friend and brother down from the New Orleans area, it looks to be there's about a 99 percent chance he'll be the new majority leader in the House. And so it's a big thing for Louisiana to have, um, you know, we'll be punching way above our weight limit. And uh, it's a good thing for our state, and regardless of what party you're in. It's a good thing to have, you know, leaders from your state in those top positions. And that, that's something that actually I, I wanted to refer to, because, you know, you're you're on the Judiciary Committee or the Armed Services Committee you're the fifth ranking member. You will be the if, if you take it back, you'll be the fifth ranking member in Congress. And, you know, you're a, you're from Benton, Louisiana. You're from you're a local guy. <laughs> so I think we should take a lot of pride in that, a lot of excitement in that, that. That a local guy has done so well. You take you're very humble about it, but it is quite an accomplishment. So what does that mean for us locally to have someone from our area that is so highly represented? I mean, what's in it for me is what I want to know. Mike. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, thank thanks for saying that, Paul. I mean, we are 
Look, I have no illusions about this. This is just God's grace, and and uh, we, we work hard. But um, John Quincy Adams said one time, "The duty is ours; results are God's." And you know, for whatever reason, he's seen fit. There's a, there's a scripture that I, that I love in the Bible. It says that uh, God chooses the least of these to confound the wise, and that that's my description. So, um, but I, I'm grateful. Like you know, I grew up in in Shreveport, and and um, my dad was a disabled firefighter. He got burned in the line of duty back in 1984, pretty severely, and was. Uh, um, you know, permanently disabled from that, and and uh, on the first, you know, uh, college graduate in my family and all that. So we, none of this was expected, right. uh, but we're grateful. It, it, what it means to Louisiana is um, that you know there, we only have six members in the House from Louisiana. So each state, everybody remembers from civics, each state gets two senators. But then you get the number of members to the to the House of Representatives based upon your population. And because Louisiana is a relatively small state by population. Uh, we only have six members in the delegation in the House from Louisiana. By comparison, California has 53, right? So, wow. um, but, but in in spite of the small number, uh, all of our members work so hard and mm-hmm. they they've done so well that um, we're really we're really exceeding all expectation for a small state. We'll we'll be the only state with two members in in top five leadership posts. Um, we're, we're the only state with three members: myself and Steve Scalise and Garrett Graves on the steering committee of, in the House, which is the one that assigns everybody to the committees and the Republican side. Um, there's five Republicans in our delegation. Um, among them is Clay Higgins, who's from the Lafayette area. He's currently running, if he gets reelected, and I think he will, he's, he's running for chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, which would be a very key position. Mm. Um, Julia Letlow is our newest member in the delegation from Northeast Louisiana. She's just been made an appropriator, which is a very rare thing for a freshman member of Congress to be, become an appropriator. It's a highly coveted seat. Troy Carter is the only uh, Democrat in our delegation. He's from the New Orleans area, and he's a great gentleman, a dear friend, works hand-in-hand with us uh, for Louisiana's interests. And then Garrett Gray's from the Baton Rouge area, rising up in seniority on, on the committees of jurisdiction that means so much to Louisiana. And Steve Scalise the, will be the number, you know, the number one Republican except for the speaker. So a really, really keen opportunity for our state in the next two years, and, and we're going to seize uh, every opportunity that's presented. You know, I, I, I don't want to get too maudlin or anything, but you mentioned your dad, and I remember the night you won the first uh, election in 2015, and that was an emotional night for you, and I remember you uh, bringing up your dad and speaking about him, because I think he had just passed a day or two before, right? Yeah, he... Um, my dad, I lost my dad three days before I got elected to Congress. Um, and that was December 2016. All the years run together for us, Jeff. But yeah. um, he wanted to be there so badly. And it, he was he was assistant chief training officer of the Shreveport Fire Department. And back in September 17th, 1984, was the, the many people who've been around here for a long time remember the Dixie Cold Storage plant explosion. Um, he lost his co-captain, Percy Johnson, in that fire, succumbed to his injuries. And my dad was burned 80 percent of his body, second, third degree burns, had about a 5 percent chance to live. And, you know, he survived all the years after that long road to recovery, you know, extreme pain and disability. But he, he made it all the way uh, to, you know, three three days before yeah. my election. And he wanted to be there so bad. It, it meant so much to him. And um, but he cancer took him in the end. But, you know, I feel like every day, Jeff, that he's he is with me and, I, you know, I. Yeah, I feel like he is watching all this, and that 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 keeps us going. Well, that's pretty neat. Let's uh, let's move on to some of the things. Um, you, you're on the Armed Forces Committee, you're on the Judiciary Committee. Right now, the Judiciary Committee has really kind of uh, I don't know what the word is, but it's totally political at this point, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's it's one of the most polarized committees in Congress, and I, I, part of that is because of the jurisdiction that we have. It's it has one of the most broad jurisdictions in Congress. Um, judiciary has, among other things, oversight responsibility over the entire system of justice. You know, the the FBI, all of the divisions in the Department of Justice, and and then many other things as well. You know, um, patents and and uh, you know everything related to the legal system, immigration, all these very you know controversial issues right now. And so, because of that, by virtue of the of the issues that we cover, they get very contentious, and the hearings you know, are often televised and, and you see lots of antics. But um, look, I, I, I don't relish that. I, I, to me, it's not something that uh, that we should be uh, aspiring to. No. It should be the opposite. You know, I mean, my background is in constitutional law and I'm kind of a nerd about this. You, you guys know, but, you know, there, there's a couple of things that are presupposed for a constitutional republic to be able to operate successfully. And one of them is that People with very different philosophies and ideas and and, and, and and worldviews will be able to come together and and work out their differences, you know, to 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 reason together, uh, to come to a consensus to keep the ball moving forward for the country, to, to do the most good for the most people. And um, it's increasingly difficult to do in this highly polarized political environment. But, uh, you know, I'm an optimist and I have some hope that uh, that common sense will prevail again and we can fix some of these big issues that are that are, you know, really hurting our country. Yeah. So it's on the the Armed Forces Committee where you're able to really influence a lot of policy and especially for Louisiana with the military installations we have here. Talk to us about some of those cool things going on with Barksdale and Fort Polk, et cetera. Yeah, well, you, you name those two installations, and um, you guys know, I mean, those are huge economic drivers for the country, not to mention the implications for all of our national security. But, I mean, between Barksdale and Fort Polk alone, they're both in our congressional district. Barksdale, of course, in the Bossier Shreveport area, and Fort Polk down in Leesville in the southern part of our district. Just those two installations alone have a, about a $9.3 billion annual impact to our state, about 70,000 jobs directly associated with those installations. So my job on the House Armed Services Committee is to advance the interest of our military uh, installations and our assets here and the, the interest of veterans, of course, um, but but uh, to do that in a way that serves not only our national security interests, but also our, our state. And and we've been really blessed um, by, you know, the, the opportunities that we've had to advance that. And the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, is the annual bill that sets the policy for military uh, spending and strategy for our country each year, just by way of, of just as example, um, last year's NDAA uh, for, for this current fiscal year, um, we were able to secure more military construction dollars for Louisiana's 4th District than anywhere in the world. You look at Army and Air Force investments, um, hundreds and hundreds of, of millions of dollars for projects at Barksdale and Fort Polk, you know, from new barracks to the new weapons generation facility at Barksdale, um, the entrance gate that will allow that to happen, all those things. So. Uh, in, in the current year's NDAA, which we expect to pass before the Congress um, uh, ends, it gets out of here in December, um, we're going to do, we're, we look to be doing even better. And so wow. we're, we're, we're bringing the resources home here, investing at home, which builds jobs, builds our economy, but also uh, protects us as a nation because we live in a very dangerous time. Right. So you've, you, I mean, that's a huge claim and a, and a great um I uh, just want to commend you and, and your group for being able to bring the largest amount of money to uh, to these two facilities of anywhere in the world. It's exciting since a lot of our, you know, locally here at Shreveport Bossier, we really rely on the base. So what does the long-term outlet, you think, look for the base 
Do you know how long it's going to be before that new gate? Uh, how, how is construction on that coming along? Are you, are you engaged with that? Yeah, di directly engaged. We had to go back two years in a row to get additional funding because, to, I mean, to be frank, I'm, you know, we're point fingers, but uh, somewhere along the chain of command in the Air Force, they underestimated the cost of it. But that's all behind us now. We, we got uh, all the dollars that are necessary. The funding is in place. The contract has been let out, and we expect that the timetable and all that will be released here in the, in the coming weeks. And so um, that should be on schedule to be completed in time for the uh, interchange to be opened, the gate to, to be opened. And that was a sequential and necessary step mm -hmm. for us to be able to get the weapons generation facility, which you all know will allow us to uh, arm the, the B-52s at Barksdale on site instead of having to fly the planes to the Dakotas uh, to be loaded with armaments. And this is a, a really critical thing, not only for our area, we, we, it's estimated it could bring hundreds of new high-tech jobs to the area, uh, having that, that facility here on site, uh, but it's critically important for the efficiency and effectiveness of our military. One of the reasons that we are able to remain as the last great superpower, China's almost a peer-to-peer -peer competitor with us, mm -hmm. but we're still the last great superpower. And the reason is because we can project force around the world. And one of the reasons the big ways we're able to do that is because of that platform of the B-52. And so we'll be able to keep that aircraft in the air until the 2050s is the projection. And the, and the, the projection for Barksdale itself going forward is we're constantly uh, on the move, competing, looking for the next opportunity of, of what that new base will be and, and what uh, new missions we can bring to Barksdale because we have unlimited uh, uh, potential here. Of course, we have a four-star general command, as you all know, as we're two-thirds of the nuclear triad basically headquartered out of Barksdale right here in our backyard. So critically important to our, our military and our country, and we've got to keep that going. It's definitely easy to point fingers, especially at, uh, at the military and the government for spending. But I tell you, I've built a few restaurants and uh, we've never come in under budget uh, in my whole life. So I can't really blame him for that, but we definitely have to look out and say, this is probably going to be over budget. And how do we prepare for that? So. Well, and it's a good point, Paul. And, and you know, I, I hasten to, uh, to, to explain to, you know, in town halls and, and uh, committee hearings and, and, uh, and, and with constituents here at home, like, you have to remember, it just sounds like an entrance gate. It's, oh, why can't we just right. build that this week? This, this is not a gate into your hunting camp, okay? This is right. this is a gate that will we will have nuclear weapons being transported in and out of. It's a very complicated, complex set of circumstances, very unusual, very unique, um, and, and lots and lots of requirements there. So it, it's a it's a it's a complicated piece of construction, but we're we're grateful it's on on uh, on target and on schedule again, and it should be open in, in perfect amount of time to allow us to continue forward to add the the WGF and, and all those new jobs and opportunities. And it'll be the new main entrance into the into the uh, Barksdale Air Force right off of right off of I twenty. That'll be the new main entrance. Is that correct? That's right. And 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 hats off to everybody who contributed. We had complete buy-in from the state and the local. Uh, uh, areas, uh, you know, there's a lot of investment that's gone into this because everybody saw the potential of what this would mean for the base and for our, our region and our area going forward. So grateful for all the, the partnership and the efforts of so many. Uh, lots of the Committee 100 uh, members were, were very active and involved with that, the chambers and everybody helping to advocate for it and to get that project over the line. So we're grateful. Right. And talk a little bit about Fort Polk. I mean, I guess Fort Polk kind of takes backseat to Barksdale most of the time, but not to the people in the Fort Polk area, and you were able to do a lot of good things for them as well. Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, it's not mentioned as often as Barksdale and shreveport Bossier area, but in the southern part of the district, Fort Polk is, I mean, it is the, the center hub of that whole part of our state, a big region, the broad swath. 
and it's a critically important installation for our U.S. Armed Forces. It, it's the home of the Joint Readiness Training Center, uh, which is one of the premier training facilities for all of our troops. And I'm always surprised, Jeff, on Capitol Hill and anywhere I go in the country, how many people have a connection to Fort Polk? They've done, you know, in, in the military, somebody's done a training session there, a tour through there. Uh, and so we got to keep that going. One of the things we were able to get there in this last uh, NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, uh, was funding over $61 million we needed to um, build a new, they call it the JOC, the Joint Operations Center. And this is a priority that was way overdue. The, the, the classroom, effectively, the operations center they were using to train our troops was built in the 60s and it was terribly outdated. They were sort of doing patchwork, trying to update it with technology. So we're able now to have the funding to build out a brand new modern state-of-the-art facility that is going to be a critical for the preparation of our troops going forward. And we're really grateful to have gotten that, that done finally. I mean, it took um, over 50 years, but but wow. uh, it'll be completed now on schedule and be a great thing. So yeah. you said you're always looking for new opportunities. You got these projects in the works right now at those bases. What are some other things that you're looking forward to now to help out uh, the state of Louisiana and the military? Yeah, well, on the military side, you know, the, the military is modernizing and um, there, there's a lot of change, obviously, in technology and the way warfare is done, uh, the way that we prepare for that. And so it's critical for the United States to stay on the front edge of that. And, and part of it is innovating with, you know, new aircraft platforms and, and uh, you know, drone technology, all these kinds of things that, that couldn't have been foreseen, you know, 20 years ago are now upon us and it's the reality. So our, our challenge is when, when we're home to these kinds of installations is to ensure that they are at the forefront of the consideration of the Pentagon, Joint Chiefs of Staff, and in our armed services committees in the House and Senate as we look for places to 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 house these new programs and these new innovative technologies uh we've got a great case to make for our area you know we call the i-20 corridor now the cyber corridor and that's mm. because a lot of hard work and investments gone into that for all the communities of interest here all the stakeholders uh to build that out we have the cyber innovation center in, in bozier we have cyber programs at louisiana tech and and uh, schools along the I-20 corridor uh, to try to help build a workforce that can be able and prepared and ready to fill that need that develops. And so we're thinking forwardly, we're, we're making the investments as a community, as a state that are necessary to be in that in that conversation. And so it's our job to be advocating on Capitol Hill constantly to make sure we're part of it. And in terms of going forward for Louisiana as a whole, as a state, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting time for the country for the next two years. It, it looks that to be that if the polling's right today, the election on November 8th will be a big night for the Republican Party. And I, I think we're, we'll, we'll have a majority of Republicans for the House and the Senate. I think I think we may win the Senate by just one or two seats. But the, the, the thing that everybody has to remember is the way Congress works now, it's very difficult to pass substantive legislation through the Senate unless you have 60 votes. And so there won't be a Republican majority that that's large under anybody's scenario. So you may have a stalemate for a couple of years where you know substantive legislation is passed through the House, some of it will get through the Senate, but it's likely that since the president will be of another party that he may veto some of that. So it may be a lot of oversight. It may <clears throat> be a lot of you know uh, some, some sort of symbolic legislation that's passed for the next two years. And then that sets up a big 
very fateful election for president in 2024, and only the Lord knows what will happen with that. But um, <laughs> what, what, what we have to do, our job as a delegation from Louisiana House and Senate, is to work every single day to advance the principles that we know are best for the country and are also good for our state, our people, because that's who sent us there. And I think we've got a good team to do that, and we're going to be working harder every day to make it happen. So you, you say the um, the representation from Louisiana, both uh, Republicans and Democrats are working, try to work together, and you've had some uh, some degree of success with that. And the challenge has been, you know, in Congress, and uh, how can you begin to work together, do you think, to move things forward, even if you do get the majority, if you win the majority? Um, in the past, that not necessarily has meant that there would be things moving forward, legislation moving forward. So how can you begin to move all of Congress forward and work together, in your opinion? It's, it's, the, it's the trillion dollar question, right, Paul? And, it, and it's something that, you know, as a member of House leadership, I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about. And um, when, when I was a freshman in Congress back in 2017, uh, we, we founded, I was a co-founder of what we call the Honor and Civility Caucus. And uh, it was a bipartisan group. And our intention was to just try to remind members it was it was becoming a very contentious uh, place, Capitol Hill at the time, increasingly polarized and uh, and, and, and really vitriolic. And our, our simple objective was just to remind everybody that we're all Americans, right? You know, right. my enemy is not the person on the other side of the aisle with a different party designation. Yes. You know, our enemy are the enemies of our country, right? We're fellow Americans. We're supposed to be working together to advance the interests of the people. And and again, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that's presupposed is you'll have thoughtful discussion, debate, uh, consideration of these big issues together, and then you form the consensus to move the ball forward. So how do we get back to that? We have some headwinds because Congress doesn't operate like it did in previous generations. In, in the old days, members of Congress would go, they would move to Washington, everybody would raise their families there, they didn't come home on the weekends, um, the, everybody was there together. So they went to church together, they went to picnics together, Republicans, Democrats, you knew the names of the children of the people on the other side of the aisle. And Congress doesn't function like that anymore. You know, we all fly in early Monday morning. We usually fly home late Thursday night after a session week, and and we come home and do our our families are back in our districts. My my family lives here in the district, and 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 we we do life at home, and then we go to work like a military deployment, and come back and forth, and and so there, there's some benefits to that because you're with your constituents all the time. You can be in touch with what their needs and all the rest. But the right. downside is you don't have time to build relationships with your colleagues like they did in in previous years and so that presents a real challenge you don't you don't know the people on the other side it's easy to stereotype people it's easy to mm -hmm. um, think badly of them if you don't know who they are and what what makes them tick and then on top of that you have the advent of social media which has been a terrible development you know i mean because, because <laughs> that's what I, I agree with you by the way definitely <laughs> i mean on balance you know it just it's it's been very caustic to our culture yeah. and, and in politics all it does is inflame both sides further and it allows people to, to attack their opponent mercilessly and it, it gets old and it makes it difficult and very hard when it get when it gets personal it makes it hard for people to work together so look i you know paul it's a great question uh, we haven't solved that that uh that equation yet but we we better be working on it in earnest because we've got to move the, the ball forward and this is a very dangerous time look i'll say this and y'all know we we're still an experiment on the world stage we just had our birthday july 4th we're only 246 years into this we don't know how long a constitutional republic a government of by and for the people can last but these these foundational principles have to be maintained and, and they're in jeopardy right now. And that's something that keeps me up at night. Well, you talked about uh, being with your constituents. And one of the ways you do that is through town halls when you're at home. And, and you have a bunch of those 
Uh, well, you have them, you do them all the time, but I know you have some planned. Uh, yeah, well, there's some this this week. Um, on on Thursday, I think we'll be in Webster Parish and in, in Claiborne, uh, and maybe one other. I don't know. I look ahead a day, one day on my calendar. But but uh, we we put them out on our social media. Rep Mike Johnson is my you know Facebook and social media uh, handle, and you can go there. We posted all the notices of that, and uh, we try to we try to do or I have done. I committed to do uh, at least one town hall in each of our 15 parishes every calendar year. Often we do many more than that, but at least one. And so um, we we got a couple more to finish up for this year. But I, I love the town hall setting. I, I think that mm-hmm. that is one of the the most important jobs of Congress is to be with your constituents, to hear from people uh, what's on their hearts and minds and what their needs are. And and I, and yeah, sadly, town halls have gone out of fashion in recent years. Um, they they were getting very vitriolic and, and even hostile back in the mm-hmm. 2016 2017 time. And so a lot of members stopped doing them. But we never did. I think it's an essential part of it, and I love the dialogue and, and look forward to those every time. You still find them to be productive? Do you get interesting questions, thoughtful questions? Oh yeah, every every time. I mean, it's always a great experience. I've never had a bad bad town hall. I enjoy all of them, and I and I think that um, it's a great exchange of information. One of the first questions I get in every town hall is, you know, hey, Congressman, wh- what is a, a an objective source for news now, right? <laughs> well, and, you KTBS, you know, right? <laughs> hey, KTBS, right? Um, and and, and I, I do I do mention uh, Jeff that you know the the local approach and local ownership of the station is really important because you do get kind of the unvarnished, at least the the local scene, and and because of your work, the state, you know, what's happening in Baton Rouge and even even Washington, you get a, a very good view of that. Uh, but people have a sense that there's there's not as many places to find object news coverage as there used to be. And I think that's largely true. You know, the way the, the media has, you know, big corporate media has evolved over the years. And so the point is that in the town hall setting, you have an opportunity to, to have an open dialogue, open Q&A, nothing off limits. And they can hear at least, you know, this member of Congress's perspective on what's happening and, and why. And I think that's very valuable. So uh, that's why we do so many of them. Well, I guess we 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 should take a few minutes and like like I said, we're not getting too into the weeds on politics in and of itself, but we should talk about some of the big issues going on in the country: uh, immigration, inflation. Um, I mean, what in your research or talking with people? What's the number one issue? Is it inflation? Absolutely, without without question. In fact, uh, I was just before we began this um, this this podcast, I was just looking at polling that came out yesterday on Monday, a Harvard uh, Marist poll, I believe, and they were looking at the generic ballot, and they determined that Republicans have a six point advantage right now on the generic ballot uh, in terms of the races for Congress, and that's that's kind of a big deal because Republicans never trend ahead on the generic ballot, even when we have a big year. So that was that was of interest and made a lot of headlines. But also, if you dig deeper into the the polling. All the respondents are saying right now that the number one issue by far, for obvious reasons, is is the economy. It's inflation, the cost of living. It's 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 become a real hardship for most American families. <laughs> if you do the numbers, it's costing the average American family an additional seven hundred dollars a month, or about eight thousand dollars over the course of a year, just with inflation rates, cost of of, uh, of of just basic necessities. And so people are beginning to do without. So that that's obviously going to be that kitchen table issue is going to be top of mind for people when they go to vote. But just below that is crime and then inflation. And so those three big issues are real motivators. And if you had to pull it all down, what's the common denominator? I think it comes down to the word security. I think people are, are deeply concerned right now, the trajectory that the country's on, what they see happening in their own community is that they don't feel safe. They don't feel 
financially secure because of all the challenges in the economy. They don't they don't feel physically safe because of the rising just staggering crime rates around the country. And they don't feel like they're safe from a national security perspective either, because they see they they perceive that we're somehow projecting weakness on the world stage, which then invites aggression by groups like Russia and China and North Korea and, and, and uh, Iran and the rest. And so that that is what's going to drive the outcome of this election, uh, regardless of anything else. I think people at the end of the day are concerned most about those issues. And I think that's what's going to tell the story on November 8th. And, and how do you see this thing progressing in Ukraine? I tell you, um, just within the last couple of weeks, I visited some military bases in that part of the world. I was in uh, Croatia. I was in uh, Portugal, where we have key naval bases and and, and air force uh, installations. And and not to get too deep in the weeds on the classified stuff, but we were up close and personal to that. And I tell you what, <clears throat> Ukraine has done much better than most people in the world uh, expected. Um, they've had, you know great leadership with Zelensky, in my view, and they've had um, a very resilient, patriotic, proud people that have stood to try to defend their freedom. But this is a pivotal battle um, for the future of, of freedom around the country. If you think about the implications of this, people back home sometimes say, why does Ukraine matter so much? Well, <clears throat> it matters because this is really the first time in a large way since World War II that the that the existing sort of world order and understanding has been disrupted. You know, Russia invaded another sovereign country in in a, in, a, in an overt way, declared war, and and we haven't had that. You know, NATO, the the um, North Atlantic Treaty Organization that that was formed after World War II, we're a big part of that. We're the leaders of that. Able to hold everything at bay because there's been an understanding that each nation would at least respect the sovereignty and the borders of other countries. But hmm. Vladimir Putin doesn't respect that. He wants to take Ukraine. He thinks he's owed it. By the way, Xi in China thinks that Taiwan should be part of China. You know, that mm -hmm. this is a real serious thing. And if we don't prevail over Putin, who is a who is a tyrant, then it will send a message to other aggressors around the world that this is fair game. This is the way you can do it now. So it's, it, it's high stakes. And I think Ukraine will ultimately prevail. They, they better because uh, it's a very dangerous world right now. Well, we're wow. down to our last couple of minutes here for the podcast, but uh, so, I mean, those are kind of some negative things. They engender some uh, uncomfortable feelings for people, but yeah. overall, looking forward for the state of Louisiana and the country, are you positive? Do you have a, a positive outlook on things? You know, I really do. And, and, and you may say that defies uh, common sense, conventional wisdom. But I, look, I'm an optimist, first of all, and I believe in Louisiana. I believe we, I, I'm not this is not a political statement. OK, I believe the reason we live here, like you guys, like most of us, right. we all have an opportunity. We can live in any state. We can move to Texas. We can move to, you know, Colorado or anywhere. I live in Louisiana because I love this state. We there, There's something unique about our state. We have uh, I, I saw a number recently, uh, Jeff and Paul, about 80 percent of Louisiana residents have deep family ties here. We stay here because it's a unique place. We have the greatest people in the world. All they want, they're hardworking, they're self-sacrificing, they're God-fearing, they just want a fair shot. They want an opportunity to pursue that American dream and make a better life for themselves and their and their, their families. It's not complicated. So we have to get the factors in place to do that. The reason I'm optimistic about our future is we have the best culture. We've got the richest food. We've got the most natural resources of any state. We've got the best people. <clears throat> we have to get our politics and our economy aligned so we can allow for all that to flourish. And I think we're going to have real opportunities without getting too deep in the weeds over the next several years uh, for some real reform to ch change the way we do business as a state, to change our what I believe is the, is an unfavorable tax and regulatory environment. Uh, we'll have some big elections on the state level and, and uh, the federal delegation will keep working from Washington. But I think if all those things come together, 
we have a real potential to turn some things around and have great days ahead. So we're going to keep working on that. As long as the people send me back, I'll, I'll do that job best I can. And, and I think others will do as well. And I think the outlook is positive. Well, Mike, you touch on so many great things. We talk about good to know, and we do bring on a lot of guests who talk about the amazing resources of North Louisiana, but Louisiana in general. We, we do have a lot going for us in forms of resources, industry, and now uh, the technical you know, the, the cyber areas that we have on I-20. Um, I do appreciate very much that you make yourself so available uh, through time, uh, through the town hall meetings and also your newsletter. Can you tell, you know, folks listening how they can find out more about what's going on, how they can stay connected with you? Yeah, Paul, thanks for, for that. We, we try to keep everybody informed as best we can. One of the ways we do that is with a weekly newsletter letter. I call it the Liberty Letter. And um, the best way to, to contact us and subscribe to that, it's free, of course. Uh, uh, we don't get anything out of it except uh, the distribution of information, which we, we try to give an update on the things happening on Capitol Hill and in the district every week, a little quick synopsis, so it's a quick read. But um, the best way to do it is go to our, our official website is mikejohnson.house.gov, mikejohnson.house.gov, and uh, you can sign up for it there, and, and we'll get it to your inbox every every week. We don't share that list with anybody. You know, you got to get on the subscription list and all that stuff, but just a way for us to communicate as best we can with everybody back home. And again, our social media, is, uh, the, the handle everywhere is Rep Mike Johnson, so um, you can follow what we're doing, and, and uh, appreciate you saying that. Thank you very much. All right, Mike, with that, we'll, we'll put a wrap to this. But that's been a really great conversation, some really good information. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, guys. Top flight, as always. I really appreciate the opportunity and keep doing it. All right, Congressman you, Mike. Mike Johnson from Louisiana's 4th District. Appreciate him being here. And thank you for joining us for this podcast of Good to Know Shreveport Bossier, brought to you by the Committee of 100 and KTBS-TV. Remember, tell all your friends and colleagues about the podcast, new content every other Wednesday. And for more information, check us out at goodtoknowsb.com. Have a great day. Let's continue to make Shreveport Bossier the best it can be. And as always, all of this is good to know. Have a good one.